bring us to the Pool of Siloam. The Pool of Siloam, um, we're going to find in, in John chapter number 9. But before we get to John chapter number 9, because we're, we're going to deal with Jesus healing the blind man and, and what he does there. And, and really point it to, to you know, the complete change in that man's life. But, as I said this morning, that when we're in these, these portions of John, from uh, John kind of chapter 7 on... You'll find that the events are happening during the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the given feasts by the Lord, commanded to the people of Israel. And um, so you begin in John chapter 7, and, and you have this um, Feast of Tabernacles taking place. And the Pool of Siloam that we're going to get to from, from John chapter number 9 was used in the Feast of Tabernacles, part of, part of the, the ritual. Um, and so what would happen? That the, the water from the Pool of Siloam was used um, during every day of that, that feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. And what would happen is every morning a priest would go down, he'd take a golden vessel from the temple, and he would go down to the Pool of Siloam. So if you ever you know, go on the internet, you can have a look at the map of Israel. If you're interested in Israel, I am... I know we were going to go in October, but there wasn't really much interest. I am trying to do one uh, next year, probably around uh, Easter time, a little bit before there, possibly. If not, definitely the October. But, you know, if you go to Israel, you can go to the Pillar of Shalom, where, where it was, and you're, you're, you're immediately impressed upon, in terms of the topology of the land, that you have to go up to the, the temple, always have to go up. But the Pillar of Shalom is kind of at, at the bottom of, of uh, Mount Moriah there, really. And so what the priest would do, he would go down to the Pool of Siloam, he would take the golden vessel, he would fill, fill it with water, and then he would come back and he would head up to the temple and he was going to the altar. And as he would walk up, the, the crowds would follow him, they would shout the halal psalm, psalm uh, 113 to psalm 118 were, were used during this time. They would follow the priest as he would fill the water, he would go back up, they would sing these psalms, you know, rejoicing in the goodness of God. Then as the uh, priest would get to the, the altar, he would pour out the water on the west side of the altar. The people would sing Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. It says, therefore, with joy, you shall draw water out of the wells of salvation. So in the, in the first seven days of the feast, that's what would happen every day. And then on the last day of the feast, the eighth day, it wasn't done. So out of those eight days, seven days, this ritual where the priest would go down to the pool of, of Siloam and he would get the water, he would then go up and he would complete the, the part of the ritual, pour out the water on the west side of the altar, except for the eighth day. But if you turn to John 7 and verse uh, 37, I want, you to, I want you to see this point because of what Christ is, is specifically teaching, but also the timing of his teaching. Because there's no coincidences with Christ. <laughs> None. Everything was perfect in its timing. Everything. And the things that he did, he didn't just do them on a whim, to teach something on a whim. It was, it was calculated in the sovereignty of God. It's, it's amazing. But notice what it says there in verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, what day? this is day eight, in the Feast of Tabernacles. This is the day that the Pool of Siloam isn't used, that the water is not poured out on the altar. So seven days it's done, the eighth day it isn't. On the eighth day, 
Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. There's no coincidence there that this is the day that there's no water brought from the pool. That Jesus stands up, he stood up literally and cried. Remember, they're all in this mindset. And he says, you've had that water for seven days. Now let me talk about the water that I'm going to offer you. Not a coincidence. Absolutely not. Now, of course, the religious establishment we know didn't accept this. They, you know, what is this guy talking about? This radical who's coming along and, and teaching this truth. On it goes, and Jesus then teaches. The next big teaching that comes along here is that he's the light of the world. Um, this is in, in chapter number 8. Look at verse 12. It says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now again, during this feast, if you look at uh, verse uh, 20, it says, These words spake Jesus in the treasury, as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. So Jesus has stood up and said he's the light of the world. He's done this. He's in the treasury of the temple. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. And during the Feast of uh, Tabernacles, what would happen was the great, one of the great golden candelabras uh, was lit in the treasury during this feast time. Because feast times are busy times. So they, they, what they would do is they would light it. And, they, and then um, when they came out the other side of the festival, the Feast of Tabernacles, they would then put out the light. It's at this point that Jesus then teaches. Again, think about the backdrop. We've done the backdrop of the water. He says, that's just water. I'm going to give you living water. In the place that he's teaching, the light has just been put out. And he says, that may be natural light. I am supernatural light. I'm the light of the world. You know, and again, he's teaching many things here. He's using the backdrop. He's also getting into the heart of Judaism. You know, the Jews were to be keepers of the light. They were to be teachers of the light. Torah, that's when you break Torah up, that's what it means. It's aura, where we get, somebody has an aura about them. I know you said that about me quite a lot. I've got an aura. (laughs) Holy aura about me. Aura, and the other word Torah means teach, direct. They were to be teachers of light. So Jesus, you know, he's, he's using the backdrop of the festival of what's going on there, the light's just gone out. He says, I'm the light of the world. And of course, the, the, the religious establishment prided themselves as being a light to the world. So you know, Jesus is teaching all these things, and then he, then he goes on and gets to verse 58 that we looked at this morning, so we're not going to do it again, where he literally says, before Abraham was, I am. The ego, am I? The I am. So he's building, 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 building. And teaching these truths of his deity, using everything around him. You'll find this throughout Jesus' life when he's teaching parables and all that stuff. He's using what the people know around. And he's declaring his deity, he's declaring his deity. The light of the world, the dispenser of living water, the great I am. And then we get to chapter number 9 where he's going to display this deity. So let's read it. 
chapter 9, verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, now I love this, I love this. And, and this is what I want to try and do on Sunday nights. I want to talk about Christ. Because, you know, I love to talk prophecy. I love to talk foundational Genesis stuff. I love to talk about the Bible. But I love Christ more. And, and when we talk about him, his teaching, it's just... But notice what it says. He saw a man. He saw him. The man was blind from his birth. He couldn't see Jesus. But guess what? Jesus saw him. I mean, if that's not a beautiful picture of us dead in our trespasses and sin, that God had to reach out to us before we could ever reach him. It's beautiful. Verse 2, his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? This is common in in Judaistic teaching, you know, paying for the sins of the Father and, and such like. Jesus answered and said, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but the works of God should be made manifest in him. What's Jesus saying here? This man suffered, he struggled. But he's saying there's purpose in that pain. There's reason in that pain. Sometimes that's hard to see. You may be going through pain here tonight. You can't see the reason or rhyme in it. Just like this man. Jesus comes along and said, No, this is not anything that's been done by anybody. But there is purpose in this. There is purpose in this. Jesus didn't affix blame, but he offers grace. In this man's life, the hurt was preparation for the healing. Verse 4 says, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh, no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He's repeating this teaching. When he had thus spoken, he spat in the ground, made clay of the spittle. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. The the, the picture we we should get here is that Jesus um, makes clay. And he forms clay. He forms it. So he, he, he starts to roll it, is what, the, what the, the, the teaching there is. He just doesn't slap it on, that he forms it. And, and what I believe that he's doing here is he's literally making this man an eye. Our eyes. We're going we're gonna to see why this bears out when we get through it. So he, he spat in the ground, made clay of the spittle, anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And then he says to him, go and wash in the pool of, the, of, pool of Siloam, which by interpretation is by interpretation sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed and came, seeing. So here the Lord does this, this amazing act where he kind of makes an eye. And then he says to the man, he you know, puts it in the socket, is, what, is what's going on there really. And he, then he says to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And I mean, this is amazing on so many levels. I mean, science today, you know, medical science today, they can do many great things. They can, they, now they're doing things where people that have been blind are able to do all sorts of things to be able to help them to see. What medical science can't do is take the dust of the ground, form it into an eye, put it in a man's eye, send him to go and wash himself in a pool of water, and he's going to come back seeing. 
This is the supernatural work of God. So this man, at this point, he, he's still blind. And he's just been told. Put yourself in the perspective of this, this man. This teacher has come along. And he may have heard of him, he may not. Probably has. Has, has, has literally made him an eye, put it in his sockets, and said, right, go to the pill of Siloam. Now, this man's at the temple. Temple's at the top of the hill. He now has to get to the pill of Siloam. That's at the bottom of the hill. And distance-wise, I'm, I'm not sure. Five, six hundred metres, maybe double that, probably, I don't know. I'm not, you can go and Google it and have a look at yourself. But he now has to get from the place where the Lord has reached out and touched him to the place the Lord's told him to go. He has to obey and trust that this man is not some crank or crook. And he has to make himself his way from the top of the, the, the hill to the bottom. During a time where it's busy, it's packed. During a day where people like him weren't given right of way. He had to fight through the crowds to get to the pool that Jesus told him. This pool of Siloam was known as a mikveh. It was used as a bath, uh, you know, uh, uh, really in terms of their cleansing. It had running water uh, in it. And this man was, was going to this place where the priests and others would go and get ceremonially clean so they could go and serve in the, the temple. And, and this is what's going on here. So he goes down to the, the, the pool of Siloam and Jesus has told him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Literally it means there, go and immerse yourself. This is a picture of baptism. Go and immerse yourself in that water. It says that he went his way, therefore, and washed, and came saying. This man's sight has been restored. The man that was blind can now see. And, you know, I mean, this is a wonderful picture of salvation. But I don't think probably when we go to this text and think about this, he was blind and then he can see the depth of what's going on here. Because, you know, the the scientists will tell us that sight is learned. So babies learn to form. They, you know, they, they, when they come out of the womb, they can't see as they see when they're adults. And all these things are formed through experience, through uh, the things that they see. Their sight gets gradually more sharper and clearer. And it, it's a process. It's a process. Um, so, you know, seeing is not just a, a whimsical thing. And this... this uh, you know, blind man has been blind from birth. He hasn't formed any of those pathways in his brain. He hasn't had the time to learn to see. He hasn't had any of that. And his world has been formed by sounds and smells. And that's all he's ever known. A life of that. So somebody that's come to sight for the first time, to, to see completely clearly... Is such a step that brains can't handle it. They can't handle it. So not only is this, this, this man able to see, but it is a complete, complete reworking of this man's brain. He's literally a new creation. That's what I was saying to you tonight. But the Lord has touched this man and he's made him new. He's made him new. Not just I can see, but... 
The supernatural sovereign hand of God has rewired his brain so that he can cope with this new sight. And he comes seeing. Verse 8 tells us that the neighbours, therefore, which before had seen that he was blind, said, is this not he that has sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. But he said, I am he. Now what's going on there is a new creation. The man that literally didn't have eyes in his head comes back with eyes in his head. This is dramatic change, right? I mean, if this was just the person's eyes and they were there and then he was blind and he could see, you would still recognize the person, right? That person walked away with no eyes. Sockets not formed properly. And then walked in. Fully formed. Eyes. Bright. Looking upon you. Like you wouldn't put the two and two together, would you? That would be your first thing. It must be somebody different. Jesus has just turned this around. He's changed this man. He's almost made him a new creation. <coughs> Neighbours, therefore, when they'd seen him, said, Is he not? He begged. Verse 9. Some said, He is. Others said, He's like him. Verse 10. Therefore, they said unto him, How were thine eyes open? And he goes on to tell the story about the Lord Jesus Christ and, and what he's done for him. And, and what I want to say, and, and we're done with this because I don't want to preach too long, is that Jesus has, has, through John, has shown himself and displayed the truth that he is God. And now he goes in and delivers on that truth. And he does, does what only God can do. That he takes the old man and he washes him clean. And he changes him and he gives him sight. And sets him on a new path. And gives him a new life. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ does. For each and every person that comes to him. And asks him to save him by grace. He just doesn't let you see the spiritual world. He rewires you from the inside out. He changes you. Gives you a new sight. Gives you a new life. I want you to think back to the day that the Lord gave you new life. That he rewired your brain. That he gave you sight. What a glorious day that was. But what have the days been after that? Have we forgotten the one that has given us sight? Maybe you're here tonight and you've never seen. The amazing thing about God is he's willing to do that. And it's only God that can do that. It's only him. Testimonies I love. Because it's a testimony not to anything that we have done. It's a testimony to the supernatural power of God. Who has taken somebody who is in darkness and cannot see. And reached out to them and touched them and given them new eyes. A new life. Completely rewired them. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That verse is the testimony of this blind man that Jesus touched. I'm pretty sure this man never forgot that and lived his life in relation to what the Lord had done for him.
I wonder this evening, and we're going to go to prayer now, I wonder this evening, would we reflect upon what the Lord's done for us? For our pull of Salome moment, for the Lord changed things. He changed things. For those that have never experienced that, my prayer is that you would come to Jesus before it's too late. Because he's willing, he's able, and he'll change life forever.